Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit lifeinnaples.net. Hope you had a great weekend. We've got great guests lined up for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's on the show every Monday uh, reporting on global news. Uh, Mark is the founder and publisher of a multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTague will be joining us as well. Uh, Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, Two Great Murder Mysteries uh, and with its locus in Washington, D.C. It is November the 30th, and on this day in 1954, the first modern instance of a meteorite striking a human being occurred in Alabama when a meteorite crashed through the roof of a house and into a living room, bounced off a radio, and struck a woman in the hip. The victim, was Mrs. Elizabeth Hodges, was sleeping on a couch at the time of the impact. The space rock was a sulfide meteorite weighing 8.5 pounds and measuring 7 inches in length. She was not permanently injured, but suffered a nasty bruise along her hip and leg. Ancient Chinese records tell of people being injured or killed by falling meteorites, but the, uh, this meteorite was on the first modern record of its type of human injury. In 1911, a dog in Egypt was killed uh, by a meteorite as well. So we've got lots to worry about. I guess now we've got to worry about meteorites. I think it just goes to show this story of uh, the illusion of being in control and how grateful we should all be for every day of our lives because there's a lot going on we don't control. Well, the FD Florida Department of Health reported 294 cases of COVID-19 and one additional death on Friday. Now, that's because they didn't report anything on Thursday, so they combined the two days, I surmise, because that's a lot of uh, cases. On Thursday, uh, the 92 cases occurred on uh, Saturday, and another 42 dropped down to 42 on Sunday, with zero deaths attributed to the virus. So, uh, the moving total is 125 cases. That's seven-day moving average. There were 71 patients in the hospitals. That's eight fewer patients than were reported to approximately the same time on Wednesday. The number of people hospitalized may be going down. And there's plenty of beds in the hospital. So the whole notion of overriding the, overriding the hospital uh, is not just not happening. You may recall that one of uh, uh, Biden's Appointment said that uh, we're going to be all the hospitals are going to be overrun in two weeks. That was a couple of weeks ago. Well, again, fanning the flames of fear is just too bad. And I think this is what's going on here. So last week, Johns Hopkins University published a now deleted article explaining a study examining the effects of novel coronavirus on United States death totals using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's the source, CDC. Genevieve Briand, an assistant program director of the Applied Economic Master's degree program at Johns Hopkins, determined in the study there have been 1.7 million deaths in the United States between March 2020 and September 2020, 12% or roughly 200,000 of which have been coronavirus-related. Briand deposits that the only way to understand the significance of the U.S. coronavirus death rate is by comparing it to the number of total deaths in the country. According to Briand, who compared the total deaths per age category from both in before and after the onset of the global pandemic, the death rate of older people stayed the same before and after the coronavirus. Let me repeat that. The death rate of older people stayed the same before and after the coronavirus. The reason we have a higher number of reported COVID-19 deaths among older individuals than younger individuals is simply because every day in an older in- individuals die in a higher number than younger individuals, wrote Briand. She also noted that between 50 and 70,000 deaths are seen both before and after the emergence of the uh, virus, meaning that according to her analysis, coronavirus has had no effect on the percentage of total deaths of older people, nor has it increased the total number of deaths in the category. 
The recent results contradict the way most people see the impact of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, which disproportionately affects the elderly population. She believes, after reviewing the numbers, that coronavirus deaths are being over-exaggerated. I guess that means really exaggerated. After seeing that in 2020, coronavirus-related deaths exceeded deaths from heart disease, the leading cause of deaths in the United States for many years prior to uh, uh, this uh, coronavirus, Brand began to suspect that the coronavirus death total figure may be misleading. She found that the total decrease in deaths by other causes almost exactly equals the increase in the deaths by COVID-19. Again, for emphasis, I'll repeat, the total decrease in deaths of other causes almost exactly equals the increase in the deaths from COVID-19. That's according to the original JHU newsletter. If the COVID-19 toll were not misleading at all, what, why should we have, what we should have observed is an increased number of heart attacks and an increased COVID-19 numbers, but a decreased number of heart attacks and all the other deaths cause, causes don't give us a choice but to point to some misclassification, she said. If the COVID-19 death toll were not misleading at all, why should we observe an increased number in the heart attacks, an increased number of COVID-19 uh, numbers, but a death in number, decreased number of heart attacks, and all the other causes uh, gives us no choice but to point to some misclassification, she said. Uh, several days after removing the article, Johns Hopkins University uh, tweeted, uh, a closer look at the deaths in COVID-19 was deleted because the article was being used to support false and dangerous uh, inaccuracies about the impact of the pandemic. Hmm. We regret this article may have been contributed to the spread of misinformation about COVID-19, tweeted the institution. That sounds very suspicious to me. Let's just put it a little different way. It was taken down because it didn't support the narrative. Co home COVID-19 tests have been available for months but only last week was approved by the FDA. Now, why is that? Well, we can only track coronavirus numbers if we have them, according to the CDC, so they just didn't allow people to test at home, which would have been cheaper and more effective. In other words, if they didn't have the numbers, how could they post them and scare the heck out of us? Will we see an increase in the cases of bacterial pneumonia because of mask wearing? Probably not, because these cases will just lump, be lumped in with COVID-related deaths and cases. I've said it so often, we're so fortunate to have elected a governor like Governor DeSantis who resists these unconstitutional measures, draconian measures that are being put in place. COVID-19. Boy, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a chart of uh, deaths from COVID-19, deaths from heart attacks, so we could see everything in proportion. This, uh, this article just points out that uh, it's had absolutely no effect on deaths, and yet they continue to fan the flames of fear, which I believe this uh, is more contagious than the virus itself. Well, Lieutenant General McInerney reported U.S. Special Forces attacked a CIA server farm in Germany in a seizure operation. Five soldiers were killed and the server was secured. And Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney and Lieutenant General Michael Flynn gave interviews uh, to a broadcasting network yesterday. It was Flynn's first interview since his pardon. In a stunning testimony, McInerney said his sources have told him that U.S. Special Army Forces, possibly the famed Delta Force, raided the CIA-run server farm in Frankfurt, Germany. Five soldiers were killed in the ensuing firefight, as well as one CIA paramilitary and the CIA personnel uh, were allegedly flown from Afghanistan for security, according to related uh, news sources. Subsequent review of the secured service yielded proof that China, Iran, and Russia were also involved in the attempted coup against President Donald Trump, who was to have shown to uh, won an overwhelming victory for the American people. McInerney revealed, uh, these people have committed treason, declared McInerney. He pleaded with President Trump to not leave office until the treason is uncovered. Otherwise, America will be fatally wounded and ripe for takeover by our enemies, he said. He also stated he believes that President Trump knew the stealing was coming, hence his executive order issued for sanctions for interference in our elections by foreign powers. That was issued back in 2018, as I recall. According to his bio, McInerney was a Ford air controller and fighter pilot during the Vietnam War and flew in 407 combat missions. 
during his four uh, tours. In other words, a patriot and trustworthy reports are now circulating that General Flynn is involved in helping the president with a private intelligence operation. DOG forces deploy cyber uh, warfare weapons, Kraken, as well as kinetic troops, special forces under the U.S. Army to acquire physical service. This is a very important story. It's not being shown on the mainstream media, and why do you think that is? Well, it's uh, not supporting the narrative uh, that uh, uh, Biden won the election, he's now the president-elect and should be installed in office. All, this whole thing should be showed. The president was actually on Fox News. He was on uh, Maria Bartiromo's uh, show, and he said there's widespread virus in the recent presidential election, including dead people voting and people submitting multiple ballots. Well, he said this all should be looked into, and uh, frankly, it should be, and it should be settled in the Supreme Court. And all this information should inevitably be pushed up to the Supreme Court and let the justices decide, in my view. This segment of the show brought to you by Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark, for all these uh, years. It's got to be over a decade now. Uh, well, I guess it's 14 years, I think. Is it 14 years? My goodness. Well, we've yes. been talking about current world events. We were young men once upon a time, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it is true. But I just appreciate uh, your being with us uh, to talk about current global events. And I understand there's some breaking news. Yes, there is. In the last few minutes, Moderna, 
which was the second company to um, report initial results a couple of weeks ago, published their final results, which showed 94.1% effectiveness of their vaccine. And they are today requesting uh, emergency approval by the FDA to approve the use of their vaccine. The expectation now is that the FDA's special committee will meet on December 17th and probably approve it within that within a day at that point. Ah, so interesting. Um, so we're already apparently starting to distribute the Pfizer. Uh, the Pfizer, well, no, but both of them have already been producing them. And both are, in other words, the uh, tremendous positive thing of Operation Warp Speed is not so much the development of the vaccines, because actually Moderna began working on its vaccine um, before the United States even started getting really concerned. Mm. Um, the reality is, this is one of the more interesting things, Moderna's vaccine was designed in two days. Everything since then has been a question of testing to see whether it's been effective and all of the things that are related to it. So that's how far medicine has really come. Is literally, they were able to design this, this vaccine in two days. Hmm. Um, so everything, I mean, they, they couldn't distribute it, obviously, in two days for the reasons that you don't know whether it has side effects. You don't, you know, all, the, all things you must do before you can give it to people, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that takes time because you need people test that on, et cetera. But in any case, they've now given it out to 30,000 people and um, enough people have, uh, enough people have gotten the, have gotten it for the people and 94% of them have been people with placebo and the others have been the people with, um, uh, who got the actual vaccine. None of the people who got the vaccine got seriously ill. That's uh, that's really good news. Now, how about therapeutics? I hear things about uh, hydroxychloroquine there. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine is not. Pardon stop, me. Hydroxychloroquine does not work. There is some. There's some therapeutics with remdesivir, and there's some therapeutics using um, using other other things that are being used. Z-Pak, um, I've heard. Uh, uh, vitamin. But Z-Pak. No, vitamin D. This vitamin D is also a false. Vitamin D. What has been proven, it seems, is there's a slightly less likelihood of getting the disease uh. if you have strong vitamin D in your in, in your body. How about it's Listerine? You heard effect. about Listerine? Well, you're right. Uh, no, you haven't heard about no. that? <laughs> I haven't heard about Listerine working to uh, to protect you. No, I, heard, I heard about someone saying that, but no, it, that's, been, that's another falsity. The reality is it's a deadly disease. They have better ways of treating people at the moment. Some of them, some of the DNA um, products seem to be working a little bit, but it's very scarce. It doesn't exist in very much. I mean, President Trump got it. Got some, and it seems pres um, Governor Christie also got some of those therapeutics, but they're not nearly enough of them to treat people. And the reality is, the hospitals in the United States are at this point not able to treat everybody in the way they would like to. Huh. How about and this? So, Did you read the study or hear about Genevieve Brian's uh, study, Assistant Program Director of Applied Economics? And she uh, said that basically the death rate is exactly the same pre and post COVID 19. Yeah, it's also proven false. Sorry, not true. I can show you the graph. It is absolutely not true that the, the number of people who died in the United States, something over 300,000 more people have died uh, during the period of COVID uh, than would normally die. Now, some of them directly due to COVID and some of them due to the fact that people weren't getting the proper care for other diseases yeah. they might have. So, no, I mean, you've, all these sources that are just not true. So she made this They're stuff up? They're not true. The, the, uh, what? The, uh, this uh, Johns Hopkins University said they took it down because it was being used for uh, misleading purposes or for misinformation. We regret the article may have contributed to the spread of misinformation, they said. So they're not saying it was false. They're just saying it has a bad results in terms of how people are using it. No, but it also, the, the, it's also been proven to be not, not, not correct. You can you can play with statistics any which way you want, but the reality is, the death rate in the United States has clearly been up. I mean, I look at the numbers in in New York State and other individual states, and it's been way up over this period of time. The number of deaths reported per month. I mean, look what's happened now in Sweden. Sweden, uh, they've now um, the um, life expectancy because of COVID of the average Swedish male has been dropped by one year, based on the number of deaths they've had. Hmm. So. And it's all because of COVID? It's all because of COVID. Okay. All because of COVID. Interesting. So, so, that's, but, so, so but I, the vaccine I, is coming. So, I mean, I would, look, we're, we, we, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. And if everyone takes the vaccine, then by the summer it'll be completely over. 
So let, just um, uh, I want to point out to our listeners that you are in Tel Aviv in, in Israel. Right. And uh, so uh, can you give us an update? How's it going there? Sure. So so here uh, they started, they had gone into a second lockdown. After the second lockdown, they started opening up. With the opening up has been a rise in the number of cases. Uh, they're trying to do a delicate balancing act between opening more things up and the rising numbers. Right now, it looks like they're going to stop opening anything else up. Restaurants and bars have remained closed. Uh, they tried a pilot of opening 15 of the country's 300 malls. didn't work so well because there were too many people. not clear what's going to go on with that. They opened up two cities that are, um, let's put it this way, they're um, pretty much by themselves on, on the Dead Sea mm. and also the city of Eilat, which is all the way in the southern tip of Israel, isolated cities for that are big tourist spots. So they opened those up for tourism after testing everybody, and that was working well for a while, but now in one of the, one of the hotels uh, yesterday, 10 of the, of the workers was, were tested positive. So it's not quite clear how they're going to go ahead with that at this point. Mm. But the number of severely ill is down, and so that's a good sign. Um, so so in, in Israel, Europe, did, I, did I understand when you said in Israel, uh, severe uh, illness is down from the COVID-19? Severe illness is down from its high for the second lockdown. The second lockdown brought down the number of people severely ill, basically cut it in half at this point. Uh, in Europe, we're starting to see, after another series of lockdowns, a turning of the curve a little bit. And so the numbers have been going, starting to go down a little bit in France and Austria and Italy, um, I think also in Great Britain. Um, so the second lockdown is having an effect. Um, not quite as dramatic, but it's not quite as, as strong as the first lockdown. Um, and everybody's, you know, the key here is the fact that there is, depending on who you are and how long, there is something between two and eight months to bridge. Uh, there'll be enough vaccines. Don't forget the vaccines. Both um, Moderna's and Pfizer's are two, require two doses, one month apart. So um, there'll be enough uh, for for all of the frontline workers and everybody at 65 and older, probably both here in Israel and in the United States, probably by, by February. And probably by June, there should be enough basically for the whole population who wants it. And mm. hopefully everyone will get it. I mean, um, you can't force anyone to have a vaccine. On the other hand, if I'm an airline, I'm going to say, I'm only taking people on my airline that have gotten vaccinated. Well, let me just ask you That's a point of question. If if, uh, if everybody gets vaccinated, if somebody doesn't get vaccinated, who are they going to give it to? Uh, if uh, I, I understand the numbers. Okay, so they, okay that, that goes down to this whole question of of the, of the comments. The reality is, and that we've seen that with measles, we've seen that with a number of diseases. The reality is if 98% of the population is vaccinated, then the disease dies and no one's going to get it. And you know that's why the measles was was wiped out in the United States and a bunch of other diseases. As so well. the statistic and I've you, heard, you know, you know what? If you I've heard if you it that two percent or five percent or ten percent, there's there's a percentage there. Then you could not get vaccinated. You can rely on everybody else to get vaccinated. That's the common. Yeah. So you are not doing your part. You're relying on everybody else to do their part. I heard the number is seventy percent, not uh, ninety. Yeah, I, I mean, I know, and it's probably seventy percent. If seventy percent get vaccinated, it dies. Right. But is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that morally correct? Another I'm way. not going to get vaccinated because other people will, and I won't have to worry about it. So, well, is, is that the right moral? Is that the moral calculation? So, is that because I'm not a good team player if I don't get <laughs> vaccinated? No, it's not a team player issue. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a reality. It's not a question of a team. It's a reality. You know, it's it's a traditional question in political science: the problem of the of, of the commons. Yeah, commons being the area where everyone has to graze is there. Uh, their catalog, their cattle, yep, and it yep. doesn't belong to anybody. Yep. And again, this is a commons question. Yes, the reality is that a certain percentage of people get away with not doing their part. Same way a certain percentage of people get away with lots of things all the time. You know, a certain percentage don't take out the rubbish. There are also the things one can do if one doesn't want to be a good citizen. Interesting. The question is, are we in this together, or are we in it each, each for our own? And can we, can we rely on the fact that everybody else will do it so I don't have to do it? So I would just say that each of us can make our own decision based on the information that we have because there are other can be other consequences from taking the vaccine besides avoiding the, the coronavirus. So all those things should be so studied. Far, so far, not. Yeah. The answer is you never do know, but 
but up to now, there have been only very mild, in the cases of at least in Moderna that released it, there have been a few, there have been a few cases of, of weakness for a day or two, of headaches, but there have been no other side effects. Okay. Could it possibly have an effect 5, 10, 20 years from now? Anything is possible. Anything That's is- a reality. That's a risk, you know. You know what? When World War II came or any other war came, when you sign up because you have to fight for your country, you're risking your life. That's exactly right. There's a certain right. risk factor when, you're, when you believe in your country and you're fighting for it, whether it's by taking a vaccine, joining the army, you're taking a certain risk. You know what? Just being no alive, we're taking a certain risk. And I think that's the key uh, con- consideration with all of this is that there is risk in life, Mark. Hey, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is an author. He's also the former former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're talking about what's happening in the Beltway. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schoen, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's move to the assassination in Iran of the head of the uh, 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 nuclear program in Iran. Right, the military part of the uh, nuclear program. Um, He was assassinated in one of these James Bond-like uh, James Bond-like uh, event. Um, actually, there's a Apple Plus uh, series called Tehran, which is an Israeli series, which I recommend everyone to watch. It's quite riveting, and it's similar sort of events. Let's put it that way. Uh-huh. Uh, the Iranians blame uh, the Israelis for the assassination. Um, based on the most recent information that the Iranians shared with no one's really know whether it's true or not. It was all done by remote control, remote-powered cars, remotely-powered guns. There was no one, no one on the scene. I'm not sure if we can actually believe that or not, but yeah. certainly, it's certainly another another world if it really is true. Um, the gentleman in question has been on the Israeli hit list for ten years. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke out about him 
when he uh, gave a uh, presentation of the captured documents from the Iranian nuclear program. Um, the United States is obviously also, no one quite knows whether, you know, first of all, no one knows if it was Israel or somebody else. It could have been the U.S. It could have been somebody else. Um, and um, the question is, what sort of impact will it have? Um, Iran is, of course, threatening uh, threatening to retaliate. Uh, their previous threats of retaliation haven't worked out all that well, but one doesn't know. Yeah. Um, was it done now because the Trump administration wanted it? Did it happen now because Israel wanted to do it before Biden came into power? Was it done now just because it just happened because, you know, following the guy for X number of years and an opportunity arose and they just took it if, if it was Israel. All right. So or, I'm going to make you angry again, Mark, <laughs> because have yeah. you heard about the story circulating that actually he was uh, abducted by the Saudis and this was a uh, defection on his part? No, I have not heard that story. It has certainly not made it to Israel, to be honest with you. Yeah. And uh, I don't, it, it does not fit the man at all. There's no reason to think that he would have defected to the Saudis. He would have told me, if he would have told me he was abducted, I could believe it. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but no, I don't think he was, uh, let's put it this way. Um, if, if a story like that was true, it would have been circulating here in Israel, and it has not been circulating even on the the quiet areas, but I don't, I don't believe that. It makes no sense. He, he's a he's a Shiite, strongly Shiite. Saudis are Sunnis. It, it does it doesn't fit. By the time he 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 um, went to the United States, maybe mm-hmm. you know he wants freedom, whatever. But no, he was one of the darlings of the of the um, of a Tehran government. Uh, those people don't generally tend to. Um, to leave, and if, if he wants to leave, he probably had an opportunity years ago. So, who knows? All right, but no, I don't. I don't believe that story. Okay. Well, uh, apparently his family has uh, been whisked away somehow, and uh, I, you know, this some supporting. I've sent you a video that I have that's kind of interesting about this. I, I, you know, and I'm not saying it happened that way, but I think it's something to consider. It may be that uh, the uh, uh, Iranians are covering up for the fact that he's defected. That would make them very mad. Yeah, no doubt, but I don't think so. Okay, I all right. Said, I all right, let's move. <laughs> let's move to uh, troop withdrawals. Right. So the United States, based on President Trump's orders, is withdrawing all of its troops from Iraq and most of its troops from Afghanistan. Um, it's an interesting question whether it's actually going to be done by the end of the Trump administration or not. Um, President Trump is obviously trying to leave a, um, you know leave a fait accompli for the incoming Biden administration. We'll either have to accept it or move troops back in, which is bigger, bigger decision than not pulling them out. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, negotiations are continuing with the Taliban. Uh, so far, they're not making a lot of progress. The Taliban at this point have no reason to make any concessions. Wait out the U.S. troop withdrawals. Right. Um, you know, Afghanistan has been a big problem. It's unclear. We've discussed this before. There's one hand, we've been fighting their way too long. On the other hand, are we are we willing to give the country back to the Taliban? Yeah. And so that's a, a moral and strategic and military dilemma that we really haven't solved, we really haven't discussed. That's one of my biggest problems. You know, yeah. I've discussed this many times with you. No one's had a serious discussion, even on a level of the of the U.S. Congress, right? I don't mean passing laws. I mean, serious discussion. Yeah. You know, what are we willing to do for Afghanistan? What are we willing to, to sacrifice? How much longer? What basis? Why are we doing it? Why are we not doing it? We're leaving it to the whims of the executive branch of the government. Yeah. Which is ultimately responsible on some levels, but on some levels, it's, you know, it's the Congress, and um, and it should have been part of the election campaign, at least on a senatorial level or some ways. Serious discussion should be taking place. but. Again, you know, no no serious discussions have taken place about America's role in the world, how one sees it, and what's willing to pay, you know, are we willing to pay for that? Yeah, I don't think there's been a discussion, perhaps. I think it's been pretty clear what the president's point of view is on that, and he said just this healthy self-interest, and when our interests coincide, we can work together. I think that's pretty much where he is. We will... Well, but it's, it's unclear, you know, his views have never really been, yes, his view is... Um, what's good for you know America first, and what's good only for America is fine. Um, but I don't think most Americans have really discussed what the implications of that are, frankly. Yeah. Well. And 
And the rhetoric has been nice, but the reality is, is something else altogether. And again, listen, maybe maybe most Americans believe that America should withdraw from the world and uh, go back to Fortress America, so to speak, pre-World War II, pre-World War One, even more so. Maybe that's what most Americans want. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. I would agree, but let's say that as a possibility. Yeah. But but let's let's discuss that. Let's talk about what the implications of that are. What are the implications of not doing that? Well, un- unfortunately, unlike this show with you, <laughs> the debate discussions are just not happening in this country, and it's just unfortunate, in my opinion. Again, no, absolutely. Again, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark, as usual, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Larry. And tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're a private, nonprofit organization devoted to educating and inspiring young people in ideas of individual liberty, private enterprise, and free markets, and personal character. And we do that uh, through our website, which is fee.org, with daily fresh content and lots of online and in-person events. Uh, all over the country and sometimes abroad. Absolutely. A great organization. If uh, there's a young person in your life, I strongly encourage you to uh, visit FEE.org and make sure that young person gets introduced to, uh, especially high school and college age, to FEE.org. Larry, uh, inappropriate to the conversation here, you wrote a column that I think is so inspiring. For me, and I would imagine for our listeners and certainly for young people, a Polish entrepreneur in Brazil Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes. uh, What a remarkable story. This man's name was Samuel Klein. He was born in 1923 to Jewish parents in Zaklikov in southeastern Poland. And uh, even today, that's a town of uh, just barely 3,000 people. Uh, But uh, his father worked as a carpenter, and that earned a very modest income, which he had to spread across a family of 11. They had nine children, Mm. uh, Samuel's father and his wife. And Samuel, as a young boy, attended only the first four years of elementary school. And then he went to work assisting his father. And as you can imagine, when the Nazis invaded Poland at the start of World War II in September of 1939, uh, this was a Jewish family that was in immediate mortal danger. And they suffered harassment for the first uh, couple of years or so until the Nazis actually apprehended them and separated the family. 
Mrs. Klein and five of the children were sent to the infamous Treblinka Extermination Center, where most mm. of them died. And uh, Samuel and his father went to another camp. Uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, after a couple of years there, Samuel Klein ex- escaped. Mm. And what happened from there uh, is an incredible rags-to-riches story. It is indeed. And uh, just, uh, Do we know actually what happened to the separated family and the five kids and Mrs. Klein? Uh, we know that Mrs. Klein did not survive. Oh. I think one of the five children did survive. Then uh, there was another boy. I'm not sure what happened uh, to him, but he did survive. So, yeah. uh, but um, most of the family uh, perished in the camps. So unfortunate, yet uh, young Samuel escaped. Tell, tell us about the rest of the story. Yeah, it's just incredible because uh, he had an entrepreneurial spark in him. Uh, the first thing he did when the war was over uh, was he moved over to Germany, uh, where he opened a delicatessen in Berlin and went door to door selling linens and clothing and just about anything he could rustle up to sell. Uh, he earned some savings and about $6,000. Hmm. And with a wife um, and a young son in 1952, he moved from Germany. They wanted to come to the U.S., but our immigration laws didn't permit it. So he ended up uh, uh, with his small family in Brazil. And there, with that $6,000 in savings, he bought uh, a hot small house and a wagon and a horse and started going door to door selling uh, towels and linens and blankets and built up a customer uh, base of about 5,000, opened his first store in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 1957, and that was the first of what turned out to be more than 500 stores (laughs) in 15 Brazilian states, 55,000 employees, millions of happy customers, and a net worth for Samuel Klein of just shy of a billion dollars. Wow, what a fantastic story. And I understand he lived to a ripe old age of uh, 91. Yes, uh, in 1990, or I'm sorry, 2000, uh, I forget exactly. 14, I'm having a column here. Yeah, 2014, I guess it was. He died at the age of 91. A much beloved figure, uh, mostly in Brazil, although he still has fans to this day back in his native Poland. But all over the Brazil, everybody knows his company, his store. Uh, it won many awards for retail excellence. Um, he's just a very uh, famous and beloved figure in Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. I understand he actually befriended Pele. I remember in Brazil, yeah. Pele was actually uh, uh, listed on the, the gross national product of Brazil at one time. <laughs> he was such a great, great athlete. Yeah, he was a spokesperson for a while for uh, Samuel Klein's company. Really just an amazing story. Very generous. He was a philanthropist, gave millions to new schools and charities. Yes, he did. And um, he he had uh, some great sayings that he was known for. And one of my favorites is, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And when you think of what he faced uh, early in life, especially uh, living in a concentration camp on death row, effectively, and what he ended up with at the end of his life, all the people he touched along the way. Yeah. Wow, what uh, an opportunity. You know, and you just think about the story. Think about his life, being in a concentration camp. There, what is the specter of life uh, in that situation? And yet he had the vision coming out, taking his uh, resources. He, he, knew how, he knew how to be a carpenter. He uh, certainly had the entrepreneurial spirit. He turned uh, what his misfortune into a great fortune, not only for himself, but also for others. That's right. And, of course, he hurt no one in the process. He became one of the so-called 1%, you might say. The left would say, ah, well, he was a greedy capitalist. But yeah. look at all the people he benefited along the way. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, brings back to the old statement I've just remembered for all for many, many years. 10% of the people make things happen. 20% of the people watch what happens. The rest wonder what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Well, Sam Klein certainly made things happen. He did indeed. Larry Reed, again, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Again, I encourage you to go to the website, fee.org, fee.org, and again, introduce young people in your life uh, to the uh, website and to the organization. Larry, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with 
Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Two Great Murder Mysteries, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. I want to just do a shout out to Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. The uh, mall is getting uh, being refaced, is getting a reconstruction of there, but uh, they're open and doing business. And I hope you'll stop by and visit Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, or use Uber Eats because they do do delivery as well. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries. I just enjoyed him so much. Father Le- the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I'd read them in that order, by the way. Uh, Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's a, it's a rainy day in, uh, inside the Beltway, and I'm thinking of snow in Europe because uh, there's a big... Uh, COVID-19 brouhaha in Europe over ski season. Um, Hmm. It's it's quite an amazing amazing story, and it's reflective of of the culture of the West, the freedom-loving West. The United States is not the only country, the only democracy in the world Mm -hmm. uh, that loves freedom and hates to be dictated to. Even even if the people who are acting like dictators think they have our best interests at heart, um, people want to uh, uh, be advised, but be allowed to make their own decisions. Oh, you so, think? Any, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, in Europe, skiing over the Christmas holidays is a huge tradition. It's very important for the economy. Yeah. And and the ski season extends through uh, March, and last March. A single ski resort in Austria was responsible for a super spreader event. I mm. mean, the, it, it ended up uh, the, the guests at that resort exported the virus to 47 countries, including Iceland. So this year, uh, the Germans, the French, and the Italians are trying to shut down ski resorts until at least. January until next year. So that would cancel out mm. the skiing over Christmas 
and would cost uh, Austria own $2 billion. So oh. the Austrians are saying, no, we're not going to shut down our resorts. And which means that all the Germans, all the French, and all the Italians would fly to Austria because yeah. So this is like big. And, and yeah. in the backdrop of this, of course, the the riots going on in France and other cities across Europe too, because of this uh, draconian uh, measures. You know, again, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm sure their leaders are trying to make good decisions for them. But as you point out, you know, most people say, look. I can make my own decisions with regard to my health. We don't need your mandates. Just do your job and stay in your lane is basically the message from the people. It is. And it's a cookie-cutter approach. Cookie-cutter solutions never work in the West. I mean, the Chinese are successful with lockdowns because it's a totalitarian state. Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, they have a huge... uh, secret police force, they can march you off. They monitor everybody constantly. Yeah. They can march you off to prison without the due process. And the Chinese have a you know, have an enforced culture of conformity. So um, you know, if you order the Chinese, for example, to wear a a, a single t shirt, let's say, um, most of the people, you know, maybe ninety five percent of them would be happy to comply. Yeah. Uh, you know, this country is, uh, let's borrow New Hampshire's motto, live free or, or die. die. Absolutely. So this is a Genevieve Briand is assistant program director at the Applied, of Applied Economics at the Johns Hopkins. And she wrote this paper. Have you seen it uh, about the coronavirus and uh, the deaths and all this type of thing? I haven't seen it. Yeah. So uh, just basically to cut to the chase, she basically says, when you look at the deaths in the United States, first of all, the death rate is not up. Second of all, to take a look at the various age cohorts, uh, they're all dying at the sa- dying in the same ratio as they did before COVID nineteen, and she uh, basically is saying uh, her her con- conclusion is that uh, we're you know this is basically a tempest in a teapot. Well, they took the article down. They said because uh, it leads to misinformation and <laughs> inaccuracies about the pandemic. So to me, I mean, to, uh, quite frankly, I just think this this is being used in such a draconian way, Pete. You know, why are we posting these numbers about the number of cases? Why are we posting the number of deaths? Why are we posting the number of people in the hospital? Why, If we're going to do that, why not post these numbers in contrast and comparison to what's happening with heart attacks, cancer, <laughs> you know, other things? It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of solutions uh, that don't involve... Um you know, draconian um, measures. And, uh, you know, Sweden has cracked down a little. It's banned gatherings of public gatherings of more than eight people. Uh, Yet everything else in the country is advisory. (coughs) Excuse me. Like our our states, you know, regions in Sweden have uh, control over the uh, virus policy. But it's advice. So it's advice and it's up to the public to consent. Yeah. I see it in my own own area. People are very good about masking up, even out on the sidewalk where you don't really need a mask. You know, it's it's become uh, polite to put a mask on when somebody is coming in the opposite direction on a sidewalk. Yeah. You, you know, even if you're even if you're six or eight feet apart. So the public, I think most of the public, you can't, you know, as we know from our legal system, you can't outlaw stupidity. You can't outlaw criminal behavior with laws, but most of our citizens are not criminals. Uh, most of our citizens behave. Most of our citizens uh, realize they have a responsibility uh, in regards to their fellow citizens. So why don't we have the same system, you know, the same approach with public health? Why are the doctors suddenly dictators? Why are the governors suddenly I couldn't agree more, Jimmy. I think you're making such great points. You know, there's such a thing as pricing theory in economics. I think it's von Mises that that came up with the the theory, but basically that no person or no individual or no central government can understand the intelligence of the market. It's because of the chaos of the market that leads to good results between buyers and sellers. Same thing would happen with regard to coronavirus and our health. I mean, if uh, I understand that I have a compromised immune system, or my relatives do. You know, I'm going to do the right thing. I might wear a mask. I might isolate myself, or 
I might go out and ride a bicycle without a mask. Or, you know, yeah, I can start making these decisions myself. And if we just trust the populace to have, first of all, make sure they're informed, but let them make their own decisions. That Those outcomes will be better than having everybody mask up and perhaps come down with bacterial pneumonia. Yeah, and the other thing is we, we don't get good information uh, from our public health officials. So uh, there is a cost if you get corona, coronavirus, you know, an economic impact on the individual and the family. Uh, you know, let's advertise those costs, you know, to your point about the making rational economic uh, decisions. Uh, let people see what the actual cost is of, of uh, misbehaving. Um, let's get some, some rational policy as opposed to masking, because I still see uh, contradictory articles in publications, you know, masks work, masks don't work. Yeah. Um, you know, why give us the illusion of something is working if it's not? I mean, you know, give us, you know, be, uh, give us some clarity, uh, give, you know, again, provide the public with the information it needs and, uh, you know, don't try to lock us up in our houses. Exactly. I mean, the, these uh, elected officials should stay in their lane we should basically the Constitution says that there were, for, for all practical purposes, 18 enumerated powers of elected officials of the government, and uh, those inc it include mainly uh, protecting us from our internal and external predators. So, hey, elected officials, stay in your lane. Make sure that we're well well informed. Give us good information, and let us uh, live our lives. Now, the funniest thing I see is people driving around town alone in their car, uh, all masked <laughs> up. You know. So, so that, that's one extreme, but uh, good for them. Yeah. It, so, uh, I, I must say, we have a, our governor has had a lot of pressure to put in mask mandates and so forth. He has resisted. He basically says, I'm looking at the science, and we're going to trust people here in Florida to make their own decisions. Now, we do have some local measures, you know, of, uh, cities that say you have to wear a mask in a business and that kind of thing. But I look at what's happening in California. <laughs> They're, they're going to confiscate chickens or, or turkeys more than 10 pounds. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beyond the pale. It's, it's just a bridge too far when it comes to our right. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal a few a couple of weeks ago uh, pointing out that there are some drugs out in the market and for other purposes. So yeah. one of them had something to do with uh, infection, you know, worms. Uh, an anti-worm uh, treatment uh, that reduces the hospitalization rate of people who have COVID. And the reason that it isn't applied more aggressively is uh, the, the FDA red tape. And so, you know, here's, here's the other place where the, the law, you know, it's, it's trying to keep us safe, of course, but this is an emergency. And if, it, um, you know, the, the writer who was a doctor made a, uh, a convincing case that uh, some of this uh, red tape should be uh, lifted if we're oh, serious about well, it. See, this is a national emergency. Yeah, this is one of the good things that come out of this nonsense is perhaps starting to streamline our healthcare system, let nurses make some of the decisions that our doctors are making right now, get rid of prescription requirements from some drugs that have absolutely no harm. There's a number of great things that actually occur uh, out of this pandemic, including where more and more people are starting to homeschool their kids, make decisions, and they're looking at the reading materials. So it could lead to, uh, you know, right now we're giving public money to colleges that are basically teaching people to be Marxist. <laughs> There's so many good yeah. things that can come out of all this. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. It's always fun to talk to you here in the Beltway and with your background. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure, Jim. And again, his books, uh, follow the leader and shake the money tree. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us. We'll find out what's new with Boo. And Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us as well. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, send me a note. If there's something you'd like to see or change or make comments, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are, namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio,
audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.